said uh, only real holidays count, uh, and you weren't talking about International Coffee Day, which is today. No. That's a real holiday. It's every day. Okay. Just wanted to make sure, because that was on Daisy's calendar this morning, but today is International Coffee Day. So if you didn't get your coffee, make sure you stop by the coffee booth in the back and get some coffee. They've got a new flavor, a pumpkin spice flavor, uh, if that's your thing. Some of us are traditionalists, so that's okay. Uh, we're closing out our series on the letdown. Uh, Nathan's going to kick off our new series next week on the haunted house. Uh, but we're closing out our series on the letdown today. And um, I wanted to talk to you guys. I, I, I thought this series was pretty good. Uh, some of you liked it. Some of you didn't. I get that. Um, some, days, some days I liked it. and Some days I didn't like it either. But... Um, but every single week we had somebody that it touched. So it was for somebody each and every week. And I thought that was fascinating. Um, but as we went through this series, we talked about how individuals let us down, how people will let us down from time to time. And today I want to talk about a special psalm that I feel kind of directs us to how we deal with that and, and what we do as Christians to deal with when we feel let down. So if you open your Bibles today, we're going to be in Psalms 130, Psalms 130, verses 1 through 8. Psalms 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice, the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark inequities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquity. God is mercy. I think that's an important part that we can draw from this psalm. In this psalm, the writer calls out that, to God for help and for his mercy. Mercy is that beautiful, beautiful fragrance that we seek in our lives. It's that it's that ever-cleansing power. It's that, it's that realization that we can be loved even in our awfulness. Mercy is forgiveness when we just really didn't deserve it. While we might ask for mercy, mercy is one of those things that can never be taken. And we can't take mercy. It can only be given to us. But how much more important is mercy when it comes from God in life? The psalmist knows when he writes these words. He knows how important that mercy is. And, and he's almost like he's, like he's holding that mercy right there and he's just like thanking God for that mercy. It almost becomes a, a tangible subject to him. Something that he can breathe into his life. The psalmist recognizes that God is holy and just and that He's the only one person that can allow 
us to stand before God. It makes, makes sense, right? God is the only thing that can allow us to stand before God. It is God's mercy that allows us to be put before God because in our most basics, in our most basis of human nature, we're self-centered. We're evil. The author knows only God's forgiveness will redeem us and restore us and put us back in place with God for eternity. The psalmist continues in verses 5 and 6 declaring that his hope is in God and that his, he's willing to wait for God to move. He's willing to wait for God to move. Downstairs, we talked a little bit about this this morning. This morning we did something a little different downstairs. We read psalms that we liked and one proverb. And we prayed. We prayed for everybody in the class. Sometimes you have to be careful what you pray for. And I I was sharing with them, my grandma always told me, um, she said, Robert, always be careful if you ever pray for patience because God will make you wait. Waiting is tough. Waiting is difficult in our lives. We don't like to wait. We don't like to wait. I saw a chart the other day. I was talking about how fast we have moved in, in the last several generations, how it took 50 million customers to buy into the idea of something. Airplanes, it took 60 years for 50 million to hit their 50 millionth customer. Automobiles was around the same time. And as you progress through the timeline, as we got closer and closer to the day, we moved much, much faster. I think it took 12 years for 50 million cell phone users to come online. It took four years for 50 million iPod users to come online. Um, If I remember right, it it ended with Twitter, and Twitter took two years to get 50 million users online. So we move faster and faster and faster, and information comes to us faster and faster and faster, and we're called to wait. God says, slow down, take a breath, and wait. We don't, we don't like to wait, though. I know I get impatient. This week has been an impatient week for me. Happens about once or twice a year. Sandra starts gutting the house. She starts rearranging the furniture. She messes up everything that I have centered around me, just moves it all around. After 21 years of marriage, I've just come, become accustomed to it. I'm perfectly okay with it. It's kind of interesting some of the things we come across as she does this, though. Um, I found markers for my board downstairs that I had bought like two years ago when a store was closing. I put them somewhere and forgot. Uh, but we also found some pictures, old pictures. And we were looking through the old pictures and we were showing them to the kids. They were pictures of the kids when they were born. Uh, unfortunately, because of a hard drive crash, we don't have many pictures of Barrett at all. But we have a picture of his brother holding him. Uh, a couple days after he came home from the hospital. Talk about waiting. I still remember that day almost like it was yesterday. It was May 23rd, 2005, and Sandra woke up, and she said, Robert, I don't, I don't feel right. And I said, okay, well, you're pregnant, like eight months pregnant, so you shouldn't feel right. She said, no, something's wrong. So I said, okay. So I called Annette, the midwife, and left a message for her at at the office where she works. 
she wasn't in because they weren't open. It was like 7 o'clock in the morning. And I called my office and said, hey, look, uh, Sandra's not feeling good. I'm going to take her to the midwife this morning. I'll come in after that. I said, all right. So uh, we went for a little walk. She says, I don't know what's wrong, but I just I don't feel right. I said, okay, well, we'll go see Annette. So we drove into town. They, Annette's office had called us back and said, bring her in about a nine-ish. Annette had a late night delivering babies. We'll, uh, she'll be in here about nine o'clock in the morning. She'll see you. Okay. So we come in about nine-ish. Annette comes in. She takes Sandra and I in the back, and she goes, does some blood pressure checks and some other checks. She says, Everything seems okay. She goes, let's, let's just do a quick listen for the heartbeat. Sounds great. She goes, let's do a quick ultrasound. So we do a quick ultrasound. She goes, fine, sticking around. Everything looks good. Sandra, I think everything's okay. What, how do you feel? What do you feel is wrong? Sandra says, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. So Annette says, well, there's one other test. Let's, let's do this real quick. And they, they put her in the chair, and they check some fluids out. And they take them back, and they look on the microscope. And we're talking while Annette's in the other room. And I said, well, you know, maybe just go home and relax today. And, you know, take it easy. Annette comes out and goes, hey, I don't know what your guys' plans were, but go over to the hospital right now because we're going to have a baby today. I was like, what? Amazing. He said, he's not supposed to be here today. He's supposed to be here like in a month from now. And Annette said, yeah, um, but that's not going to happen. Go over to the hospital right now. So we go over and we check in, and, and what had happened was Barrett had torn the ambiotic sac, but it was a small leak, so Sandra's water didn't break. She had what's called a high early break, and it was just slowly leaking out. How Sandra knew this, I don't know, mother's tuition, God intervening, whatever you want to call it, she knew something was wrong. So we go to the hospital, we get checked in, they got a room for us because the net staff is super great, they call ahead. They got a room for us already. We get checked in, and it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, hey, we're having a baby. So we start calling, you know, friends and family. I call work. Hey, I'm not making it in today after all. Um, this is what's going on. And so we're gearing up. Not, not our first rodeo. We, you know, this is our second kid. We kind of know how this goes. Um, so we're getting ready. And Annette comes in, and they introduce us to the NICU staff. NICU is Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. Because Barrett is a month early, they're concerned about his breathing. They're concerned about some other things. So there's a likelihood that he's going to have to go to the Neonatal Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, NICU for short. He's going to have to go there for the first couple days of his life. We're like, okay, no problem, no problem. We meet the doctors. They're great. Meet the nurses. Everything's good. Let us know when you go into labor, Sandra. No problem. Lunch rolls around. I skip lunch because this is going to happen any minute now. We know that. We know that. Family's coming by and visiting. The day wanes on. We talk about what we're going to name the child. You know, what, this is our second one, and we haven't really narrowed down a name. And we start working on that and talking about what, what we want to, what, what exactly we want his name. And I think it's somewhere around 2 in the afternoon we come up with the name Barrett Blaine Brock. Triple B. So that was kind of catchy. Barrett Blaine Brock. We're good. By dinner time that day, my parents come by and said, hey, um, she's not in labor yet? No. But this is going to happen. This is going to happen today. Why don't you uh, go eat some dinner with us? No, because as soon as I leave, Barrett's going to come. And then, you know, 
And he goes, I don't think it's going to happen. Why don't, you go to, why don't you go to dinner? So I run somewhere nearby with my parents, and I get dinner, and I eat really fast because I don't want to miss anything. So I get back. I get back over there, and I'm sitting there with Sandra, and, and her family's there. 8 p.m. rolls by, and family members start to go home. They say, okay, that, that's it for us. We're going home. The midwife stops by, and she says, I'm going to go home. Uh, if anything happens, tell the nurse. I'll be back in 10 minutes. 9 p.m., Sandra and I are doing what, what I call the 1,000-mile walk that you do with pregnancy. They make you walk around the hospital because this is going to help induce labor. So we're making laps. It's like the 1,000th lap around the maternity ward. We're walking and walking and walking and walking. My feet hurt. I can't imagine what hers feels like. Mine are dying. And I'm just thinking, when is this going to happen? You know, Remington, we got checked in, and within six hours, we had a baby. We've been here, like, all day. I got work tomorrow. I got other things to do. What is going on? 2 a.m. rolls around. I apologize to Sandra because I cannot stay awake anymore. And so I curl up on the crummy little couch the hospital provides the dads, and I drift off to sleep. May 24th, 2005, 8 a.m. Annette's back. <laughs> it's normal time for her to be back at work, and so she stops by, and I'm thinking, it must be time to go. I jump up off the couch. It must be time to go. Maybe not. Uh, there's been a shift change. The neonatal intensive care unit staff has changed, so they introduced us to the new neonatal intensive care staff. I think, when is this going to happen? This is taking forever. But at this point, somewhere between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., the doctors and Annette come and talk to us and say, well, this, is, this has gone on too long. She's not going to labor because it's too early. But he has to come out. He doesn't have a choice. So we want to give Sandra Pitocin. Well, Pitocin's a really, really nasty drug. I don't know how else to call it. But it's going to induce labor. There's no doubt about it. That's exactly what it does. And so they give Sandra an epidural, which is not something that she wanted, but the hospital that we were at wouldn't give her Pitocin without the epidural. And she had to have Pitocin. And we do that, and a few minutes after 10 a.m. on the 24th of May, Barrett joins this world, and he's quickly rushed off to the NICU for further evaluations, and, and that, that becomes a sermon for another time. But... Um, but I just remember, it took over 24 hours, and it seemed like it was forever. It seemed like it was forever. And I remember rushing off to the NICU with him, and everything had changed. Because what took forever, what, what was 24 hours that felt like it took days, was like five hours condensed into 15 minutes of action. I remember sitting at the neonatal intensive care unit while they're working on him, shoving hoses into him, trying to get him to breathe because he did stop breathing and doing different things to keep him alive and putting him in his little special incubator and everything. And everything finally calms down and they go, you can go back and tell mama everything's okay. And I'm like, okay, great. I, I swear I remember 15 minutes passing. 
I got back to Sandra, and it had been like three or four or maybe five hours. It was now evening. Have you ever waited for something for so long, and then everything just kind of erupts all at once? I can't help but think that that's what the psalmist feels like. He's waiting for something to happen. Just like the watchman's waiting for morning to come because he knows that once morning comes, there will be safety, right? You're waiting. Just just get this over with. I I don't want to go through this process anymore. I'm, I'm tired of waiting. In our own lives, sometimes we're lost. Sometimes we're lost because of the hate that consumes us. Sometimes we're lost because of our own selfish desires, our own centeredness. Sometimes we're lost because we're just stuck watching the clock, wondering when something's going to happen. When is something going to change? When is something different going to take place? How long must I carry this pain? How long must I carry this stress? Why can't I have an answer right now? Sometimes, many times that pain that we're feeling, that pain that we're carrying, is because we're not dealing with it. It's because we're not dealing with something called forgiveness in our own lives. We don't want to forgive someone. We don't want to forgive someone and put that hurt behind us. That's not necessarily the point of what happened with Barrett. It wasn't Barrett's fault. But sometimes in our own lives, when we're dealing with that and we're lost in that whole idea of why does this have to go on for so long? Why do I have to still feel the pain that somebody caused me 10 years ago? It's because we failed to forgive them. We don't want to forgive. We don't, we don't want to forgive people who hurt us. We don't, we don't want to forgive people that disappoint us. And let us down. Perhaps, perhaps they didn't even realize they did it. Perhaps they didn't realize they let us down or that they hurt us, but it's still a wrong to us. Sometimes the very person we struggle to forgive is the person that's standing looking at us in the mirror. The Hebrew word for full redemption in verse 7 is putawith. Pitoweth. It literally means to divide, to deliver, or to redeem. It's also said the same word that's translated as ransom. That concept is that God pays a ransom to buy his people back, delivering them from whatever foe, whatever folly, whatever transgression, whatever lets you down, whatever you're holding on to. God does give a ransom. And it's the costliest ransom anybody could ever pay. When his son Jesus dies on the cross, he pays for everything, including our sins. Because of God's unfailing love, we have access to this forgiveness, to this mercy, to this complete redemption. Forgiveness is not just something that we receive. But it's something that we are told to give. Forgiveness is something that we've been blessed with as Christians that we're supposed to share. Forgiveness is a command. It's not an option for the Christian, but a requirement. 
for believers to forgive those who have sinned against them. However, forgiveness doesn't always mean that we just forget. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we just automatically trust people wholeheartedly again. Trust is earned. But forgiveness and boundaries can coexist and should coexist. Many believers get trapped in the idea that they should pray and ask God to help them feel like forgiving somebody. You don't ask God to help you feel like forgiving someone because feeling like forgiveness is not right. This kind of prayer is counterproductive. It only delays actual forgiveness from actually taking place. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's not an emotion. It's not something you feel. Forgiveness is an act. It's an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperament of the heart. It's something that we choose. Forgiveness happens at a specific moment in time in prayer with God. The feelings will eventually follow. But forgiveness is something that we act on. Let's try something today as a group. I know this is a little different for us. But let's try something as a group today. In in just a few minutes, I'm going to say a prayer. And it's a forgiveness prayer. It's a prayer focused on forgiveness. And I'm going to purposely leave the name blank. But as you say the prayer with me, you put in the name. You don't have to say it out loud. But put in the name of somebody that you have needed to forgive. And when we come to the blank of what they did, you put in what they did. You don't have to say it out loud, like I said. Just keep it to yourselves. But God will know. Forgiveness should be specific. And a forgiveness prayer might sound something like this. Pray with me. Lord, I choose now in obedience to your word to forgive blank for blank. I release them from the debt they owe me because you already paid for it. I forgive them. And I ask you to bless them. Amen. The more that we learn to rejoice in our own forgiveness, and the more we learn to offer forgiveness to those who have tried to hurt us, the quicker we will learn to forgive. The quicker we will be forgiven. Some of us can't forgive others completely, and that's a shame. For those of us that are Christians and we still feel like we can't forgive, there's some work that we need to do there. There's some heart issues that we need to have a conversation about. There's some prayers that need to be said. For those of you that aren't Christians, you don't fully understand forgiveness. There's a problem there too. It's a heart issue. There's some prayers that we need to do. There's some studying we need to do. There's some things that we need to do to get you in touch with Jesus and understand what that forgiveness is about. To understand what it meant when He went to the cross and He forgave everyone's sin. If you're in one of those situations today, I encourage you, don't leave. Don't leave here today without talking to myself 
or to one of the elders or to Nathan. I'll be at the back. You feel free to come and talk to me in, during the last song. And we can keep it private if we need to. We can make it public if we need to. But don't leave here today if you're struggling with forgiving people on your heart. Because ultimately, when we deal with being let down, the only person that's hurting when we're let down is us. And it's through that forgiveness that we can release ourselves from the pain of feeling let down. And from that pain of self-centeredness. And that pain of not being able to forgive. If you have any needs, come contact me at the back. Always thank you.